Um, so Exodus 6. Um, verse 9, I call it too poor to pay attention. Uh, Exodus 6, 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Uh, because of their circumstances, um, the very encouragement that they needed, they didn't receive. Moses was telling them that, hey, God has spoken to me, and he's, he's going to step in on your behalf. It's interesting to me when you combat that verse with chapter 4, verse 31. Someone read verse 4, Exodus 4.31 for me. Start with verse 30. Exodus 4, verse 30 and 31. We get the context there. Okay. So to me, those two verses show the contrast or the, what I call the ups and downs of life, right? Um, and that's, that's where we live. That's the real us. That's our real life. There's ups when we're encouraged. Uh, this, in, in chapter 4, verse 30, 31, they hear what Moses and Aaron say, and they're so encouraged. <laughs> kind of a laugh, but, and uh, some of you will get this and some of you won't care, but it reminds me of, of Sunday. Um, before the Packers game, we're like, hey, go pack, go, right? They're they, they going to really make a difference this year. And then about the middle of the game, <laughs> halftime, we're like, 17 to nothing, come on. <laughs> um, and, and you're down. And, and life is like that a lot. It, it's, it's like I, I've had to question myself, why do I keep watching these games whether it's the Brewers or the Packers or whoever it is. Why do I get in the Badgers before? I, I'm a big sports fan. So the Saturday before the Badgers played their game, they were supposed to win. They were playing at home, and they just, they just played terribly. Uh, but it reminds me uh, of life. Sometimes we're going through things, and we, we have times when we feel exuberant. We feel just joyful. We feel rah, rah, rah. Uh, and then there's other times... Um, where we're not feeling that. We may not be particularly sad or down. We just, we're in a blast, you know. Um, our circumstances do not, must not dictate where we are. Um, we have to look at what God is doing and be encouraged in that. <clears throat> if my circumstance dictate, I tend Right around August, I tend to start going down because, you know, the sun goes down earlier. It's starting to get dark outside. And even though the temperature is still in the, usually in the mid-70s or so, uh, and the nights are, are cool but very comfortable, um, just a comfortable ending to the summer, just knowing that summer is ending is like, ah. And, and I'm not even a student in school anymore, but it's like, ah, but yeah, summer's over. And that, that can be depressing for us, um, discouraging uh, for us sometimes. And so uh, we have to fight through that. Now, how do we fight through that? We remind ourselves 
of what God is doing. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I know there's challenges um, that I face in my life or just things that come up day to day or just there, right? Um, that, that can help um, give us wrong or take our eyes off what we really should be focusing on. <clears throat> and so uh, if we're just focusing on circumstances, um, we, can, we can succumb to, to, to uh, the spirit that just draws us down. And so in chapter 4, they hear what Moses and Aaron say. These are the leaders now. And they are like, yes, God is going to do something. Um, he sees our condition. He's going to work. And then in chapter 5, um, Moses and Aaron, they, you know the story. They go, to, they, they, they go to fulfill, do what God told them to do, and they get slapped down. They really get slapped down. Pharaoh says, what are you guys talking about? Why, why are you even here talking to me? You got nothing to do. Then let me give you more to do. And uh, I'm going to have you get your own bricks and, and, and make that since y'all got so much free time. And, and that's what he does on them. And that's the tactic of, of Satan. He wants to, to really uh, slap us down. And yes, <clears throat> why does God let us go through these things? is because we cannot afford to gauge um, God's work and God's um, um, God's faithfulness to us on just our circumstances of what we see. Because we don't see far enough. We can't just, use, in other words, we can't just use our physical sight. We have to walk by faith. What is the faith? When God told Moses and Aaron he was going to do this, and Moses and Aaron told the people that he was going to do this, they needed to walk by faith and realize that he's going to do this. Now, in reality, no, he's not doing it tomorrow. We might think it's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen right away, and it's going to be quick, and it's going to be great. It doesn't always happen that way, but God still said that he's going to do this. And... He takes us through this process of learning to trust in him. Um, I can think of several things in my life that are, are going through that process now of learning to trust in God. And I don't like that process. I don't like it. I don't like having to go through another challenge to trust in God again. It's hard to go through. But that's just the physical the flesh me, not wanting to go through a challenge. I don't like being disciplined in my eating. I don't like exercising. I don't like waking up in the morning. I don't like doing a lot of things that I know I should do. And once I do them, I'm okay. It's like when I get out of bed, you know, one of the things I hate, and I know I'm just rambling, rambling a little bit, I hate turning my alarm on. I hate when an alarm comes on. I have two settings of my alarm, and, and the other night I set it on the wrong setting. One setting is a regular, what I call regular alarm mode, and it comes on at the time, and it just, you know, it's a, it's, I don't know what it is, a beep or whatever. But the other one is like crazy. It, it, it comes on real glaring. It's like, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, and I have to jump out of bed and turn it off real quick. Because, you know, I'm, I'm afraid Donald's going to wake up. Everybody else in the house, the whole neighborhood is going to wake up, it sounds like. And I don't know why 
you know, I accidentally turn that on. It's like, I don't need that. And when, when that comes, like, man, I'm starting my whole day with this nonsense. And so you have to recondition myself, right? That doesn't set my whole mood for the day, the circumstances. Get over it. This is, you know, God is still here. He's still working. You didn't want to get up today, so what? Uh, get up. What I find, though, is once I get up and get going, um, I don't think about, I don't make the decision whether I'm going to get up laying in bed. You know, if I did that, I never would. I just turn over, go back to sleep, and, uh, you know, wish for a good day. I get up and I get going. And I find that as I get going, um, God is, is meeting me. God is, is restoring me. God is getting me ready for that day that I'd rather not face anyway. I just want to bury my head under the pillow and stay asleep. Um, we, had, we, we feel like that. In fact, we feel like that more often than not. We have to fight through the emotion of life and not live on emotion but faith doesn't mean that we don't have emotion or that we have to ignore our emotion. What it means, we don't live on emotion. So I wanted to mention that. The other thing I wanted to mention that I think is pertinent with Moses is Moses thought it was okay to give God the excuse, I'm not gifted like that. Remember that excuse he gave God? God says, hey, here's the job I gave you to do. And Moses says, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Can you see God saying, are you telling me something I didn't know? So what? You're not an elegant speaker. I'm still calling you. And Moses thought that was a fine excuse. And what God is saying is his design for us and his call, uh, what he has for us to do, um, is not limited to and based on our gift alone. We live in a culture that says your gift carries a day. If you're exceptionally gifted then, wow, you got it made, and you can do this, and you can do that. And the, the, the reverse becomes true. If we're not exceptionally gifted, then it's, we have no value. We teach our young people, you, God has given you some gift that is going to shake the world. That's just the wrong thought. That's just not true. You may be in every aspect, I may be in every aspect, an ordinary person. God loves to shine through ordinary people. He was telling Moses, it's not your charisma that I need to lead my people. I just need your obedience. In fact, I don't need that. I'm just going to use that obedience for my glory. Go and do what I say. One of the uh, most, th I didn't cover this in my message, but let me just mention this now. One of the most, one of the biggest things that stand out in all of the plague narrative, there's 10 plagues, and we, we started looking at them at chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, and then into 11 and 12, actually. Uh, one of the things that stands out in that whole scenario is very simple words, is this. God said, God told Moses to do this, and Moses and Aaron did. Those simple words, in other words, each plague was started with God saying, okay, Moses or Aaron, stretch out your rod or pick up this dust and throw it in the air or command or, or do this. 
stretch out your rod, the, the, the frogs are going to come, the flies are going to come, the gnats are going to come, darkness is going to come. Over. He just tells them to do it, and then they do it. That should really get our attention. Moses and Aaron simply begin to step by step obey God. It sounds like a simple thing, but it becomes a great thing. They lift up the rod, and God works. That the, <clears throat> the point there, day by day, God is calling us to obedience. And prayer is a part of that obedience. Prayer is the thing. Why is prayer so hard in the church? Why is prayer so a hard part of my life and your life? Because it calls for simple obedience, and obedience is always based on faith. That God is going to do what he says he's going to do. So tonight we're going to pray. Tonight we're going to pray like we normally pray. And we're going to ask God to do things. And it's going to seem like some ordinary things, and it's going to seem like some extraordinary things. But we're simply going to pray, and we're going to believe as we pray that God does things in answer to our prayer. He wants us to be obedient, and he wants to bring about what he's going to bring about in answer to our prayer. It's amazing. God told Moses and Aaron, tell Pharaoh this, tell Pharaoh that. They did, and God worked. Why does God respond in answer to our prayer to bring about our faith, to challenge, to encourage us to continue to be, uh, to put our faith in him and to allow us to see that step by step, to see that happening? What about you? Do you have some challenges in your life right now that God is challenging you to um, believe in him in faith? And it seems like some of the everyday stuff, right? He's saying, continue to walk in obedience to me and let your obedience be a, a, a show of your faith in me. Let's continue in prayer. Let's continue in faith, let, letting God work. Rather, whether we have emotional ups or downs, let's continue in faith, trusting God, believing God. Good evening, saints. <laughs> We're going to be doing our meditation through the Gospel of John. As we said, the book of John is about believing. And... Last time we were in chapter 11, and Jesus had come to Lazarus' body at this point. He had delayed where he was for a little bit, and people were confused as to why he delayed. And then last week we saw the reaction of the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and the reaction of the Jews. And Jesus wept. We talked about Jesus weeping. And why did he cry? 
and why death is something that's sad and something that we shouldn't pretend is not sad. It is, right? Because God in flesh is crying. And so then we get into verse 38 of chapter 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his faith wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Siaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you, for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. And a Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Jesus comes to the tomb and Martha still didn't want to believe, right? And she's concerned with the disrespect of Lazarus' body. But here's the thing. Why would she believe that Jesus would do anything disrespectful? Unless she didn't understand Right, she understood in her mind who Jesus was, but she didn't really understand in reality that Jesus was more than man, that he was God. And she didn't really want to believe that he could do something so great that could alleviate all her mourning because she didn't want to get her hopes up. She was already crying. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and we see this great miracle occur, and then there's... This diverse reaction. Because this passage is about believing. People, people often say, if God did this in front of me, I will believe. And every time that somebody says that, you have met a liar. Because people don't like 
believe because something happened to them or didn't happen. People don't believe because of the character of their heart. You know, something happened the other day. And the person the person who this happened to they act like they had an excuse not to come to church because of it. And ultimately what had happened was this. If you want a reason not to come, you're going to find a reason. But if you want to serve, no reason is going to stop you. And see, what we need to do is stop blaming others for why somebody else don't believe. It's not the evidence. It's not the treatment. It's not everybody else. It's not their surroundings. It's not their environment. It's not the power structures that be. <laughs> it's not the shadow minds that control the world. Ultimately, it's you. It's me. It's us who stand before God. We have to give an account for whether we're going to obey him or not. And it ultimately doesn't matter what our excuse is. It's going to fall flat when we stand before him. We stand before his face and we see his awesome glory and we sit there and we say, you know, I didn't come to church because the sermon wasn't that good on Sunday. I didn't come to church because they didn't sing the song I wanted to. I didn't come to church because I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have a ride. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Somebody didn't treat me right. God didn't give me what I wanted. Somebody died in my family, and I never got over what God did to me. I'm just telling you all the excuses that I've heard, why people have told me they can't come, why they can't listen. Some of them may have come from some of you. It's not intended to be aimed at you. The point is, is this. We all have a reason. We all got a reason. But when you look at Jesus, and you look at what he did, and you look at his work, and you stop looking at everybody else, you just look at what he did. It takes all those excuses away. Look at through this passage in chapters 11, and let's just look through the different people that said things that maybe wasn't right. The disciples who didn't really understand what Lazarus was going through. Oh, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll be okay. How ignorant, right? I'm not going to that church. They're ignorant, <laughs> right? What about Doubting Thomas, who said, let's go with him so we could die with him. How cynical of him. Thomas, a cynical guy. Martha, who said, Lord, if you would have came, he wouldn't have died. 
Man, that's bold to tell God what he should do. Mary, who had an attitude. Others who were with Mary, some believed and some just went and told. But I think what you have in common is there are people that are looking at what Jesus did. And you got to choose. You got to choose what you're going to do. It's funny because God uses the most evil man in the whole passage to say the, the biggest truth. You notice that? High priest of the Jews. His whole speech is we need to kill Jesus, but he says it's fitting for one man to die. And what John said, he was right. He was right. That's the plan of God, how evil he was, but he was so right. God used him to speak truth. And John says this, he would die not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. If he would have just said he died for the nation, that would have meant he would just die for the Jews. But he said he died for those who are scattered abroad. And what that means is, ultimately, Jesus is searching us out individually. And he's gathering those of us who've scattered in one place. And what's that one place? That's his glorious church. I thank God that he gathered me when I was scattered. I thank God that he gathered you when you were scattered. And I thank God that he doesn't just gather me once and then I roll away and he leaves me. He keeps on gathering me. You know, I keep on wandering off. But God, like a shepherd, leads me right back. Sometimes the ride can be a little harsh. Just like my dad said, I don't always enjoy the process of being gathered back. But I'm always thankful for the outcome. Praise his name. We got some hard things we're going through, especially in my family. You know, pray for my wife. You know, her sister isn't going through rough times. But even in that, God is doing something. I don't quite know what it is, but God is doing something. Maybe it is just an opportunity for us to show care and love for our sister who also shows so much love and care for us. Maybe that's the only reason. If it is, his purpose is great. Ultimately, God is working out the individual things that I don't even know about your life for some purpose. And let's be mystified by that, but let's praise him as we try to discover his will. Amen.